Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about the passing of Robbie Zacharias. Plus, Russell Brand is wondering, why are people Googling about prayer? And we're going to talk about the jobs market. That's all coming up next on The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us a bunch of places. The first is Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. It's where we post all of our articles. You can also send us messages if you have ideas for future shows or topics or guests or interviews. You can send all of that there. Plus, rating, subscribing, and reviewing that page really does help us out a whole lot. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com slash the common good. And wherever it is you get your podcast, subscribing, rating, and reviewing there also helps us out a whole ton. Maybe sharing it with a friend. I know a lot of people are still... Maybe people are running out of podcasts at this point. Maybe they've like rifled through all the podcasts that they knew they wanted to catch up on, and they're looking for a suggestion. Mm-hmm. Might we suggest the common good? And uh, I mean, it's it's all over at least Christian Twitter and Christian Facebook. The passing of Robbie Zacharias, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But first, I'm going to check in with my co-host Brian. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, man. I, I can't complain today. Tuesdays are always a really busy zoom day and so do you feel like the more zoom calls you have just the the, the more it saps your energy uh, something about like i hit a limit with them but uh, other than the misting more rain outside i'm good i'm good today how about yourself yeah i don't i mean you're just sitting in front of a computer i don't know that it zaps my energy I uh I, I, I could do much longer in-person meetings than ever on zoom and something saps my energy in them really yeah i think so yeah, it's not my favorite, but you know we're we're powering through. I'm uh, listening to the sound of my one year old throwing a fit upstairs as we speak. <laughs> so that's always fun. That's the joy of uh, working from home that I imagine a lot of us are experiencing in various degrees. Yep. And uh, either way, I'm I'm grateful that we can. Um, we talked about this. Was it last week? We talked about Robbie because you know he had made a video and made a post about uh, how bad the cancer had gotten and. We had shared a little bit, I think, about what he had meant to us. And then I don't even know necessarily how to even set this up. Because on one hand, you know, the way that we always do funerals, if we talk about being bittersweet, it's bitter for obvious reasons, because this person that we you know cared for is no longer with us physically. But then it's also, for the Christ follower, very, very sweet, right? Because we know that he's not in any more pain right. or heart, any of that stuff. So I, I'm curious, just how are you feeling about that news today? Yeah, I, much more quickly. Uh, he passed away much more quickly than I thought, right? Because last week it was like, hey, bad news, uh, kind of nothing else they can do for him. And so for him to die so fast, it uh, just kind of caught me by surprise this morning. But um, more just thankfulness. You know, obviously, I've never met or never had the chance to meet Ravi Zacharias, but I heard him in person many times. And I heard him, obviously, on video or whatever else. Uh, just uh, reading some of the stats, though, preached in 70 countries and authored more than 30 books in his 48-year career uh, is unbelievable. Now you start to see the people coming out about the influence they had on his life. And we could all only hope that at the end of our lives, uh, people are saying some of the same things about the deep impact uh, he had on many people. So just thankfulness for a giant of the Christian world for this past uh, if you think about the giants of the Christian world for the last 50 years or something, Ravi Zacharias is going to be on that list. So just really thankful for his influence. 
The other thing that I've appreciated too, at least with a cursory glance at Twitter and Facebook, is uh, how unifying the support has been right. in you know from people that I would imagine theologically or politically epistemologically disagree with him and disagree with him probably even passionately. But there's always something to be said about the collective voice of appreciation, even right. if you didn't align like on every nuance and point of doctrine, which I, I always find, I don't know, strangely refreshing in yep. these like increasingly divided times. So I want to play a little bit of an audio tribute, just a few minutes long uh, with regards to like we were saying, um, the passing of a giant. So take a few minutes, listen in, and then uh, Brian and I will respond. On the problem of evil, problem yeah. of suffering, Mm -hmm. A secular philosopher describes it this way. So the Christians believe God is all-powerful. The Christians believe God is all-loving. The Christians know there is suffering. This is a trilemma because it is incongruous. How can an all-powerful and an all-loving God sit back and watch such evil and suffering going on? So he calls it a trilemma. I respond very quickly by saying, why is it a trilemma? Because it's also true that God is Mm all-wise. We don't end our theology with God is all-powerful, all-loving, and evil exists. We also believe God is all-wise. And we further believe that God is eternal. You bring just those two elements into the, into the equation, and it changes the paradigm. We know God is all-knowing. And then you take the issue of time. What happens over a period of time? Let me give you a quick example of this. When I was growing up in India, I was a constant failure, repeated failure, because I never applied myself. And then all of a sudden I passed in very high honors and the ability to join the Indian Air Force. Out of 300, they were going to select 10. I came in at number three. So I sit down in front of this Churchillian looking wing commander and he stares at me across the table and he's asking me a few questions. And then he leans over and in Hindi he says, beta. Beta means son. Hmm. He said, beta, you're a good man, you're a nice man, but I'm going to reject you. Just like that. And I I visibly felt my body start to tremble. He said, this job is about killing and psychologically you are not equipped to kill. It was a few months after that the opportunity came to migrate to Canada. If I'd been accepted into the Indian Air Force, I was committing for about 20 years. Hmm. I would never have come here. Never have had the time to sense the call for God into ministry. Never have seen the life that God has now given to me to be a persuader and uh, help people understand the beauty of the gospel message. That door was slammed. It took years to find out why that door was slammed. There are emotionally satisfying answers as time goes by. I've lived with a lot of pain with a broken back. I have two titanium rods that are about eight inches long, four clamps, eight screws bolting me down. I injured my back very badly. There were times I'd be sitting in the front seat with a car pulling over my fame and I head on my steering wheel and crying. The pain was so intense. And you know what I found? How much it has stopped me to depend on him every day to sustain me. There are two things I need with this lifestyle, a strong back and strong vocal cords, and I have neither. And God has shown me that in my weakness has manifested his strength and how his healing hand even came through on my back after years and years of suffering. There is an emotional satisfaction when I know that there is a cross, there is a hill called Calvary, there is a suffering savior, 
There is a relationship where he gives me comfort. God does not conquer in spite of the dark mystery of evil. He conquers through it. He conquers through evil and pain and suffering and makes you the person he intended you to be through that. All right, so having heard that now, Brian, what uh, what stands out to you about, I don't know, him or your own kind of uh, process of this news? You mentioned yeah. earlier that it was much faster than you were anticipating, but what, what stands out to you? Yeah, just thankful and being reminded of his story of not believing in God and being on the point of suicide as a, as a teenager and then to have this journey of God's faithfulness. And then also just reminded of the impressiveness and the intellect of a man who was able to go... I, I don't mean this in an adversarial way, but toe to toe with great thinkers and really reason and debate things of the faith. I don't, that's not my personality. So when those kind of things come up, I get kind of like, I don't really want to have that conversation. Right. But he uh, really led the charge just on being able to uh, speak of our faith intellectually. And for that, I'll always be really thankful uh, for him. And, and we have a couple of articles that we've posted on the Facebook page, a lot of really, really great writings and tributes and memories and collections of his accolades. I would encourage you, uh, especially if you're not familiar, you know, I made a post earlier today and I had a, a number of people say, Oh, I've heard his name, but I don't really know anything oh, wow. about what, what he's done. I think that this, this is a good opportunity actually to uh, check out some of those links over at the common good radio show on Facebook. And uh, I would encourage you just to do a quick cursory glance at his life and ministry. And I think that you'll be really, really glad that you did. We'll come up next, an article that uh, a friend of mine shared about a startling percentage of jobs that apparently the experts believe are gone for good. We're going to talk about that coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm, and I'm told that the weather at some point in the future is going to get better. I'm, get I'm better. hoping upon hope. I'm clinging to my faith. Or something. I don't know. I, it's it's starting to wear on me actually. Like every day yes. that it's rainy and gloomy and cold, it's like, oh, our our boys are so much more happy when they can just be outside for a little bit. And uh, yeah, fingers There's crossed. No, coming. I mean, you guys haven't played wiffle ball in a minute, have you? That had still more to do with the back injury, but no. Now that the uh, now that the weather has turned like this, we have not been able to. And it's one thing for like you know, a couple of days ago where it was just pouring and pouring today. It's like, you feel like you should be outside and then you go outside and it's like that mist where you're like, you've got to be kidding. Like I want to in Ireland right now. It's just this weird mist sitting over everything right now. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. That's a, that's a real missed opportunity for sure. Oh, teed you up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, you teed me up too soon to talk about baseball tee references. That might be a painful memory for Brian to relive. Uh, before we get into this article about the percentage of jobs lost for good, uh, you can find us on Facebook, the common good radio show, 1160hope.com slash the common good Instagram and Twitter at common good talk. And wherever it is, you find podcasts. You might be wondering, does it actually help them? If I subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast, well, I'm here to set the record straight. It does a whole heap of a lot. Apparently, a number of other people also have the, the idea to call their show The Common Good and uh, <laughs> helping us out by reviewing and rating and sharing. All of that helps kind of ours bubble to the top a little bit more. And uh, we're so grateful for all of you who have. Yeah. So here's here's an article at Forbes.com, and it says some 42% of jobs lost in pandemic are gone for good. What's going on here? 
Uh, it's really startling. It says only some of roughly 36 million jobs lost since the beginning of lockdowns uh, designed to help with the surges around COVID-19 patients. Uh, so it says 36 million jobs have been lost. Uh, the University of Chicago estimates that 42% of the recent layoffs will result in permanent job losses. To show that further, they said, we find three new hires for every 10 layoffs caused by the shock and estimate that 42% of recent layoffs will result in permanent job loss, they said in this paper entitled COVID-19 as a reallocation shock. Most of the workers are now surviving on a record level of unemployment insurance. Uh, that means that some workers, including part-timers, are actually making as much or more from unemployment, but that stimulus is not permanent, they say. Right. Uh, and so it just reminds you of um, just all that's going on health-wise, but that it's actually a big deal when people are bringing up the economy. Like We've got to think about this because uh, to say 36 million jobs have been lost and upwards of 42% of them may never come back, that's a lot of people who are going to be searching for jobs and what do they do? And then the longer that we're locked in, then, you know, in theory, the more that some of these jobs are going to go away. And so it's really um, while the health and COVID-19 is the number one issue in all that we've been going through, this is quickly uh, <laughs> number two right here on the list. So Michael Reynolds, a uh, an investment strategist for GlenMed in Pennsylvania, says it's worse than it looks. The labor force mm-hmm. participation rate is even worse. Uh, again, we've mentioned this a number of times, like this is certainly not an area of expertise for either of us. But I'm wondering when you read things like this, thinking through as a pastor, which is your area of expertise, what opportunities do we have going forward? If this is even remotely true, that 42 percent of some jobs lost in pandemic are gone for good. Does that does that lead you to think strategically about the future at all with regards to like your role as the church in the community? I think as a church, as church is. Uh, we need to be really prepared and thinking, how do we help people um, process and even financially? How are there ways that we can help those people uh, who have lost their jobs and who are struggling? And, um, you know, to go from such low unemployment to high unemployment so quickly, um, we would be uh, naive to think that even if it hasn't hit our churches hard yet, that it's not going to hit it at some point. Um and so there's very practical thoughts as organizations, as churches, is what does that mean for giving and other things? But those are secondary to the how do we care for the souls and, and the not just the souls? How do we care for the people uh, within our congregations and in their spheres of influence? How do we help them care for the many people uh, who are facing that anxiety and that fear and that struggle that's got to come when you lose your job? And you're going, if all these other people are out of work, how am I going to find a job? So there's going to be real anxiety, real issues, not to mention the financial, physical issues as well. Well, and I think that is a a good opportunity, too, to talk about Christians Against Poverty, because that's one of the things that they do specifically is partner with churches to help people navigate really difficult financial realities. Like that is that's a very, very like real time need that I think a a whole lot more people are going to experience. And if these predictions, again, I don't have the education or the wherewithal to know how accurate this is. I know that Forbes is, you know, a legitimate yeah. news source, uh, at least in some regards. So, like, I'm I'm curious as someone who and we both mentioned this like, well, OK, this the real like weeds of this conversation are admittedly over both of our heads. Yeah. Um, 
Is there a responsibility on the role of the church and church leaders to do more than to simply help mitigate stress and anxiety? Like, is there, are there additional steps that you would encourage churches and church leaders and maybe communities of churches to really think about in preparation for what this new reality could potentially look like? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Because off the top of my head, I would think, are there ways that churches could come together to actually start? Uh, you know, a lot of churches are, are pretty slow, rightfully so, to give financial assistance. But can can churches, in a way, gather together in order to be a back, uh, you know, to be a safety net for some people within their congregations? Um, you know, are there other things? Could we be running job fairs and things to help people find jobs? Uh, are there ways to network people within churches uh, to maybe uncover skills that people have? Those are some things that come to mind. You're usually pretty creative with stuff like this. What comes to mind for you? Uh, gosh, I, I mean, there's there's probably this depends, I think, on the context and probably the bandwidth and size and resources of the various churches. I do think you're right, though. I think a banding together of churches and resources is yep. certainly in order. I think uh, a call to some ecumenical unity, maybe beyond what we've seen in the past, because I, we're just better together. I think this would be a terrible time or each individual church to sort of silo itself off and say, all right, we'll deal with ours and you deal with yours. Like, you know, right. every church has its own kind of unique skill set and gifts and also, you know, blind spots and pitfalls. Um, I'm thinking, though, like there's a there's a guy at our church who works with career transition ministries. And there's a lot of resources out there like that where like people who are experts in helping deal with unemployment and sudden or not so sudden loss of jobs. Like there's a whole universe of like training and resources available and again much like in the area of mental health sometimes churches uh don't do a great job of admitting what they don't know how to do or what they don't have the resources for and and again some churches might be resourced here but i think in this particular moment this could be a really great opportunity to help to help other churches and church members connect with ministries and organizations who are are literally built to help navigate these things. So, so going beyond just simply like, well, we're going to try and partner more succinctly with the you know, local food pantry, or we're going to preach on worry and anxiety. I think those things are good too, but yeah. to help resource people with the organizations and ministries that have made it their mission, you know, to think strategically about these things, I think, uh, I think could be really, really helpful. Yeah. So maybe now's the time for us as pastors to familiarize ourselves with the opportunities that are out there for people uh, yeah. Since they're going to have so much on their mind trying to find a job in this net that we can be ready to go and be like, hey, try this organization, maybe connect with them. That's a great comment. Totally. Well, coming up next, I think a common good first. Russell Brandt was on Twitter <laughs> and he was sharing some thoughts regarding the increase in Google searches for prayer. We're going to talk about that coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Well, hi again, everyone. So glad you joined us. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the ever-charming Brian Fromm, and you're listening to The Common Good. Find us all over the place, right here, by the way, however you're listening to us. This is a radio show, 4 to 6 p.m. Central Standard Time on AM 1160. Also, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get podcasts. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing is super duper helpful. Facebook, the Facebooks, as Brian likes to say, uh, The The Common Good Radio Show. Yep, that's where we post all of our articles. We have some some more lively debate today, by the way, some specific yes. articles about uh, should churches gather or not, which I do appreciate because in a lot of ways, you know, this is 
I would love for that space to become uh, a safe space for open dialogue and even disagreement. That's kind of the hope and goal of the show in a lot of ways. So send us a message there if you have ideas for future shows. And find us on Instagram and Twitter at Common Good Talk. And we're super grateful for that as well. Mm-hmm. So Russell Brandt, uh, you're familiar with Russell Brandt, yes? I am. I am, yes. You were asking, your tidbit of information was, uh, isn't he the one that was married to Katy Perry? That's right. Which and, and I, was, you know, I was proud to know that. I was proud to know that little tidbit of uh, of uh, popular news, so of entertainment news. So uh, that that's, that's from years of reading People magazine right there. I knew that. That that explains a lot. So he, uh, <laughs> I love he People magazine. <laughs> really do. I know it. I can I can hear it in your voice. He uh, so he, <laughs> he created a, a much longer video that was edited down to a couple of minutes talking about this recent spike in Google searches around the concept of prayer. And since Brian and I are both pastors, anytime that somebody sort of outside the church world uh, takes an interest in prayer, I'm always a little bit curious. And Russell Brand is such a character anyway. So uh, Mm -hmm. we're going to play a couple minutes from that. And then Brian Fromm and I will respond. Hey, how you coping? You all right? Guess what I found out? That everyone's Googling prayer. People want to know how to pray all of a sudden. There was a time not that long ago when we thought that prayer religion was redundant, that mankind could answer all of our questions through technology. We are looking for a sacred experience. What do you mean sacred, Russell? In the dictionary, it tells you that sacred means holy, divine, the presence of God. What I think that means is the presence of the limitless that is always, by its nature, present in the limited bandwidth of our physical sense-based experience here on Earth, which on some level we know is not enough, and now we've been forced into a monastic corner, except for those of us that are frontline workers, except for those of us that are up there shirkers. We're all stationed aren't we and alone now i've got young kids so i'm pretty busy and occupied with the, dealing with the madness and the continual violence plus i've got bear oh no bear oh no bear but what we all need is a connection to the sacred and the fact that people are googling prayer suggests to me that we need to find a way to pray together now you might not want to pray because excuse me mate you've had a difficult experience of religion or you say hey man i don't like religion it's trying to tell me how to think it ain't trying to tell you how to think. It's just giving you some suggestions how to think. And you think nationalism's not trying to tell you how to think? You think capitalism's not trying to tell you how to think? You think rationalism, materialism aren't telling you how to think? You think you're not trapped in some sort of cyber pinball, neurological machine, information synaptically rattling around just to keep you trapped, trapped within the sounds of commercials bombarding your ears for years and years continually? Well, let me tell you, if you think that you're free, the only way that you're free is your freedom to see that there's something that be beyond what you can normally see and the only way we can access this is through prayer so take a moment take a breath breath is life and think about why are you looking for prayer see i suppose a lot of us are getting confronted with a different type of reality all of a sudden ain't we like what's important to me what do I want from the world? What do I want from my relationships? What do I want from my working life? Can I achieve anything? Does Do my individual goals and desires matter anymore now? That we- okay, so admittedly, that was probably harder to pay attention to without the subtitles of the original video. Like, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> he just talks. He talks so fast, and he's sort of all over the place, and his energy is so curious to me. But in light of all of that, though, all of that aside, uh, what did you think of what he had to say? I thought it was fascinating. And what's interesting about Russell Brand is you're, 
you know, I don't know him. He could be a, a, a regular weekly church going devout believer, but that's not his reputation. Right. And so um, understanding that for him to come out with a with a video basically talking about prayer and people's draw to it, I found very interesting. Uh, and he's right. Right. We people are looking for the presence of something limitless. People are looking. It's a, it's that idea that. That, that people are looking for something sacred. They're looking for something above themselves, particularly in this time where things seem out of control, where, it, you know, it, so much of our lives is lived feeling like we could actually control everything. But then you get like this COVID-19 and everything around it. Uh, you start to lose the sense that, that, that we have any control. And I think what he's saying, and I think we're seeing in a lot of the articles we're reading, is that it's precisely times like this that even people who aren't religious, uh, who don't have a, a background in, in any kind of faith, uh, still long for something more, uh, the way he put it, still long for the presence of something limitless and something sacred. I think he's really getting at why these articles are talking about you know, this increased searches in prayer and this increased interest in prayer. Well, and if you do a quick... Google search. He actually has a number of videos that he's made about prayer meditation or is that right? uh, the power of prayer. Yeah. Like this is something that, I mean, he's got a series of videos that are, are morning meditations. And again, I, I completely understand that somebody listening right now might've, might've thought like that guy is a little too left field for me, which I, I'm not, I totally understand, but I thought it was super interesting toward the end there, what he was saying, like, man, religion isn't about telling you what to think but giving suggestions i i wonder do you find that to be true or is that more like a a pop religion take on something that maybe otherwise people have had a negative posture towards yeah i i get what he's saying i don't agree with that statement necessarily i i believe with the first part i don't you know if like when i describe christianity i don't say it's it's not telling you what to think, uh, but it's pointing you to a person, right? Like I think the second part of this, I don't, I don't think what we're doing as pastors is just giving you good suggestions of what of how you should live your life. But, um, you know, so what are what are pastors doing then? I think what I would like to think is that we are pointing you to to Jesus, right? Like I think I'm not telling you how to live your life. I'm saying there's something, there's someone. Uh, who, who, uh, there, there is, uh, God has sent his son. There is somebody out there, uh, who answers these questions and who has taken care of this problem that we're all dealing with. And I, and, you know, there's a lot more to it. Obviously we need to dig into, but, uh, I don't think it's just about behavior modification. Let me tell you how to live, a lot, but let me give you suggestions of how to live. I think it's more about pointing to something, uh, bigger than ourselves, but, um, but that might be nitpicky. I don't know. That could be splitting hairs. Uh, but his greater point to me is that this uh, universal desire for something sacred. A lot of people, uh, I wonder if everybody would agree that that's there. But I think during times like this, don't you think we do kind of see that that's kind of a universal thing that we all feel? Uh, it's all a matter of how we uh, end up defining that. I think it would be interesting to talk with people who uh, have never had any interest in religion or Christianity, because my guess is maybe maybe we could all agree on the word meaning as opposed to sacred. We we all uh, have some desire to find meaning or to, to want to feel a connection to a greater meaning. 
I my guess is there would be people that would certainly push against the the innate desire in all of us for something sacred. Now, personally, you know, as a Christ follower, I think that desire for meaning is actually like the hunger for the sacred. That is right. hunger for knowledge or experience of the divine. So at some point it becomes a little bit maybe more about semantics, but I, I actually really agree with what he said there that, yeah, there's, we might use different terminology, but all of us have some kind of nagging longing for something beyond ourselves and yeah. uh, I, th- I think how we answer those questions and how we maybe even respond to those questions and other people is uh, is just a massively, massively important question. Well, coming up next, here's the headline. Why can I go to Walmart and not church? That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good, and I am wearing the thickest hoodie I could find because I'm in my basement on this cold, gray, yes. line. sad day. I don't even know. I don't even have a window down here. Is it? Is it nice outside, Brian? No. Just lie to, just lie to no, me. it's not. It's like... It's like that setting on your hose that you spray your kids with, where it's not like the steady stream. It's just that mist. That's all it's doing outside right now, which is almost more depressing. It's like gray and misting right now. Oh, boy. This is very Ecclesiastes right now. Do you know that? Uh, <laughs> meaningless, meaningless. Could maybe be better translated vapor, vapor. It's all vapor. It's mist. So maybe this is a uh, yes. Maybe there's a deeper. We can get into that later. Uh, a couple of things. You can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. You can also find us at 1160hope.com or wherever it is you get your podcast, plus Instagram and Twitter, at Common Good Talk. And before we jump in, I got two articles here. We might not have time to get to both of them. But the first one, Why Can I Go to Walmart and Not Church from Kevin A. Thompson, is a super fascinating read. We're going to get into that for just a moment, though. Brian Fromm, would you tell us about something cool the station is doing? Yeah, as we've been telling you over the last couple of weeks, during this coronavirus pandemic, we're aware that so many businesses have had to close their doors and reduce their hours. But we also know that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. So if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. It's all one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form, and we're going to compile all of that information and share it with our listeners. It's totally free. No catch. Go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. Way to go, Brian Fromm. All right. So this first one here is from uh, Kevin A. Thompson over at kevinathompson.com. And uh, the headline says, why can I go to Walmart and not church? Which is certainly a question that you and I both heard. And then the very first sentence simply says, because of science. So <laughs> why, why don't you uh, get it into this article a little bit and we'll see if we have time to get to the other one. Yeah, Kevin says, because of science, that's why I need to show more caution going to church than I do in going to Walmart amidst this pandemic. Social media has many benefits, but one place social media struggles or miraculously we struggle on social media is with discernment. It's a common occurrence for people to post a simple statement contrasting two things with the intent of showing how foolish someone is or evil a political opponent is or useless government is. While people can be foolish, enemies can be evil, and the government can be useless, it's most cases the pithy statement on social media is simply wrong rather than revelatory. So that's how he sets it up that, you know, it's really easy on social media to talk about church versus Walmart. His point is uh, there are two different things. He said, as COVID-19 spread around the U.S., 
Governments made differing recommendations. One direction directive was a suspension of in-person worship gatherings. Uh, but at the same time, citizens were still allowed to grocery shop. Uh, Walmart was open. For some, this is an attack on religious liberty. And so he goes on to say, what's the difference? He says two things. Obviously, we need food. We can go for nine weeks worshiping online, but we can't go nine weeks without food. Mm. Uh, but the bigger issue is not food, but science. Grocery shopping is different than corporate worship. When we shop, we go up and down aisles, moving around people and then making our way out of the store. However, at church, we're confined to a space. When it comes to a respiratory illness, the latter is riskier than the former. So his point is, it's a little apples and oranges when you compare Walmart to church because of the nature of the activity that you're going on there. Uh, And so he's not even making necessarily a statement, as far as I know, that says, uh, therefore, we should keep churches closed for a long time and Walmart's wide open. I think he's just saying, be careful about the comparisons you make and what you use for your argument. So is this something that you've come across? Is this a question that you're having to field? Uh, I think it's not a question I'm fielding, but there's certainly all around social media. You're seeing these things, right? Like you've seen somebody put on our Facebook page. I think the meme of like, you could go to home Depot, but not church. So let's hold our next service in the plumbing aisle. I think it was what it said or something like that. Uh, it, I mean, Stetzer himself wrote an article the other day about, I can go to Costco, but I can't go to church. So even he made the comparison and got some people, uh, pushed back on him with that. Uh, so I think there are a lot of arguments to be made about why churches should be opening sooner than what they currently are. But his point, I think, is a good one. Maybe don't make the, your main argument, hey, if Jules open, then why isn't the church? That they're just uh, entirely two different things. And I like the way he ends this article. He says uh, the previous article is true for everyone, but there is a specific reminder Christians need. In the Ten Commandments, God commanded us to tell the truth. Specifically, he warned us against bearing false witness. When we share, promote, like, and further things that are not true about others, we are violating the ninth commandment. Consider the irony. Some Christians willfully share false information in order to prove the ungodliness of others and in so doing actually choose ungodly behavior for themselves. Truth matters. Pursue it. Proclaim it. Honor it in every way possible. Which, again, part of what gets tricky is we all seem to sometimes disagree on what actually is true, but it is worth doing the research and we've talked probably too many times on the show already about conspiracy theories and the responsibility of the Christ follower to do the hard work of finding out what is actually true and admitting the times where we maybe don't have all the information. That's okay too. It's okay to not post or to just simply say, you know what, this is complex and complicated and I don't know that I trust this source or that voice, but I'm going to do a little more research before I post this article or this tweet or this meme or whatever. Which I think is really important. Um, this other one over at the uh, Center for Pastor Theologians, which I don't know if you are familiar with or I'm not listen to their podcast. They have a great uh, conference every year that is just phenomenal. You should check. I mean, their podcast is phenomenal. Uh, the headline simply reads, "What we are missing when we are missing church: Reflections from Bonhoeffer's Life Together." So, this is kind of the thing that I feel like it's not necessarily the same discussion as the Walmart thing. Um, but let me just read a little bit from this yeah. to kind of whet your appetite because we won't have time to get to all of it. Uh, he says simply this over the past few weeks, I've talked with numerous people who have expressed how much they are missing gathering with fellow believers for worship. And I would add myself included for the first few weeks of lockdown. There was a novelty of waking up on Sunday mornings, brewing our favorite coffee and quote, attending church online in pajamas while nestled comfortably in the sofa. 
But as things have settled into a new rhythm, the novelty seems to be wearing off and people are left with a deepening sense of longing to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ to worship together. As, I, as I've reflected on my own sense of loss in this time of Zoom Bible studies, preaching to a camera in an empty sanctuary and online prayer meetings, I've asked myself, what is it that we are missing? Yes, we are missing our friends and our Sunday fellowship over donuts, and that is real loss. But is there something more that we are missing, some other loss that can help us to understand what we are feeling during this challenging season? I believe that there is, and this deeper loss reveals much about the nature of the church and how we experience God's presence. So without giving it away, and then I will give like a little nod to Bonhoeffer's Life Together. If you've not, oh, such read, a good book. If you've not read it, go get it. It's like 99 cents. It's, it's not a difficult read. So, so good. That's one that I keep coming back to. What would you guess he's sort of setting up here as like his his premise for the, for the the thing that we're missing? Yeah, I think what he's going to do is uh, he's going to talk about not only are we just missing our friends, like that it's deeper than that, that there is something about the gathered church uh, that points us to God, that it is together, that. So we're missing an aspect, I think he's going to say, and I did read a little bit further down, he's going to say something to the effect of uh, that we're just missing each other relationally. But more than that, uh, we're missing we're missing God and we're missing something that we learn from one another uh, when we gather together an experience that we have with God, that while it's nice to be at home and be able to do things over Facebook Live or whatever, uh, it can't replace uh, the physical presence of, of the Christian community coming together. Which, again, is something that Brian and I have mentioned a number of times on the show, and I wish I had time to read more to you, but it's been posted on our Facebook page. It's I so cannot, good. I cannot encourage you enough. Read it. It's a short read, but I think it really, really helps elevate and clarify a little bit of what really is lost when we can't actually gather together. Well, the first hour is in the books. I hope you stick around for the second hour. We've got a lot of really good things coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you're left. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk a little bit about how do we keep the reopen or stay home debate from tearing us apart, and then some words from a local pastor about how to honor our government in this time. That and more is coming up next on The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. On the, I mean, you know what? I'm just going to speak it into existence. On this sunshiny... Joyous, warm. I'm staring at a wall right now. So if I just keep speaking positive words out into existence, maybe it will manifest somewhere in my hippocampus. That's doubtful, but uh, I'm going to keep on trying. You can find us a few places, though, on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. And that's where we post our articles. And you can comment and weigh in there, even join the debate if you like. You can send us a message via the Facebook page if you have ideas or suggestions for future shows. Or if you'd like for Brian to stop wearing hoodies and wear instead maybe a cummerbund. All of those no. are. No, you're not interested in wearing stay at home cummerbund. No. That no. might help with back issues, on. though. If you get a tight enough cummerbund, that might help with some of the soreness you're feeling. Can I go hoodie and cummerbund? I don't see why not. Yeah. I mean, this is all stay at home anyway. So knock yourself yes. out. <laughs> uh, Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. And wherever it is you get your podcast, subscribing, rating, reviewing does really help us out a whole ton. Plus, as Brian did sort of recently discover, you can just tell Alexa, play the Common Good radio show. And you know what? She'll do it. It'll do it. She'll do it. Do we She'll go with do it. she? Okay. Yeah, that's fair. I'm going with she. Yep. <laughs> 
All right. I so over, over at preemptivelove.org, which is a wonderful, wonderful resource, wonderful organization. We've talked about them a handful of times over the last year and a half or so. Uh, Kim Mack wrote an article called Reopen or Stay Home, How to Keep This Debate from Tearing Us Apart. It's not long. Mm-mm. I'm inclined just to read or do you want to read it, Brian? Sure, I can read it. Yeah. Yeah, why don't you it just is, read it? It is it is a good article. She writes, uh, we know many of us are divided right now, especially politically. This doesn't come as a surprise to anyone, but for many, the divides are deepening and the sides are growing increasingly entrenched along two simplified viewpoints. To open businesses and loosen restrictions put in place to slow the spread of the coronavirus or to continue with social distancing and flattening the curve, reducing tract infection rates our physical well-being, or our economic well-being. It can be easy to write off the other side to dismiss their viewpoint, but no matter which side you're on, consider that you might not fully understand the motivations or reasons behind the other. And the first step to trying to heal what divides us, listening and seeking to understand. So let's look at both sides and consider what we might be missing. So she's going to take the two sides and give kind of what people are saying about them and then ask you to consider the opposite. She says, reopening the economy. Those who want to reopen businesses and start the economy back up, uh, start the economy back up are accused of not taking the virus seriously and valuing money over human life. But then she says, consider this. Some people haven't been able to work for up to six weeks. Maybe they got a stimulus check or maybe they're still waiting for theirs uh, to come in the mail. That's up to 20 million people as of May 12th. And maybe they didn't get a check at all. Some haven't been able to qualify for government assistance. They have no safety net, no emergency savings. Some have essential jobs as well as kids who are out of school. They have to choose between staying home uh, to care for their kids or going to work and earning an income. They need child care options. They need a chance to work. They don't know how they're going to provide for their families. Some have spent their lives and savings building a business. They don't know if it will survive the extended closure. And if it doesn't, they don't know what they'll do next. They've invested everything into their restaurant, salon, shop, or company. They don't know if they or the employees who rely on them will have jobs to come back to. Some might not want to reopen yet, but because their competitors, uh, be, but because their competitors are, they know they'll be doomed if they don't reopen. They're weighing the effects of the virus against the needs of their family. They're not choosing money over people. They're doing their best to care for and provide for their family. On the other hand, there's the stay at home, save lives. Those who believe we should continue sheltering in place are accused of being too cautious, too fearful, uh, and too restrictive of others' liberty. But consider this. Some people have loved ones at home with underlying health conditions like diabetes or asthma. For them, the virus is a very real and very scary threat to their child, their partner, their grandparent, their best friend, or even themselves. Some work in essential jobs. They're doing what they can to keep stores operating and shelves stocked. They're providing life-saving health care, often at great personal sacrifice. But they know that the more COVID-19 spreads, the more at risk they are on the front lines. That puts their families more at risk, too, and the people they serve. Some have lost a loved one. Some have lost more than one loved one. They're grieving. They're scared. They don't want to lose anyone else. Some want to stay home with their families, but they still want to use grocery pickup and Amazon delivery and curbside services. They know some people need to work so that food distribution and essential services are available. They just want to keep the number small. They're not trying to take anyone's liberty or ruin anyone's business, but they see vulnerabilities that others miss in their family, their neighborhood, their community, and they're desperate to protect them. 
See, we don't all have to agree. We probably won't anyway. But before you label someone simply because they hold a different view than you, stop to consider why. Listen, ask questions, and hold space for the fact that somebody not agreeing with you doesn't change their worth or their value. COVID-19 can be something that brings us together, that teaches us to care for each other, to listen to each other, to hold space for one another and appreciate each other, or... It can be another in a long list of polarizing moments that drives us further apart, that pit us against each other, that label us and divide us. There's a better way, and it starts with us. That's that article out of Preemptive Love. That'll preach. Am I right? Oh, my gosh. That's really, really. It's great. And I think it's what you and I have been talking about, because I think you and I... uh, as the sense that I get is that we're both have this frustration of like, you have to be either uh, for health and you want to destroy the economy or you have to be for the economy and therefore you don't care who dies right. <laughs> and that there's no middle ground uh, and that there has to be one or the other that she even used in print in a, in a, uh, she used the word sides, right? Like we have to have sides. And, and I think that's the frustration in here that there's a little more nuance to it. I don't think, Nobody really wants to tank the economy that I know of, but nobody also just wants to let as many people die as possible. People are trying to figure out the best way. Uh, This article, I think, is one really worth sharing because she really gets at uh, listening and understanding the other sides. And I love what she says here towards the end. But before you label someone simply because they hold a different view than yours, which, by the way, this could apply to any circumstance, not just the one that we're dealing with right now. That's right. Stop to consider why, listen, ask questions, and hold space for the fact that someone not agreeing with you doesn't change their worth or their value. Now, obviously, this becomes a little different if it's someone who is just overtly racist or exploitative. You're like, hey, man, just hold space for my opinions. You're like, well, no, your opinion is um, like incredibly belittling and damaging to like the sacred humanness of every person. You know, like that. That is maybe a caveat or an asterisk there. But like, yeah. I'm wondering, why do you think this is so rare? Like, why why is it so difficult, especially in a season where everyone's maybe a little more on edge than they typically are, to remember those things, to actually hold space for people to disagree or to come to different conclusions? Like, like what is the thing that makes this conversation or this bizarre season we're in so unique? Yeah, I think there's two things. Um that I, that first came to mind when you asked that question. The first is, and we've said this over and over and over again, it's just not the culture we live in. Um, we live in a cable news culture where you have to have a hot take. You've got to have a take. You got to pick a side. Uh, and then, so that kind of becomes part of the ethos of our culture. Even if you're like, no, I don't like that. It still becomes easy to get that way. But two, uh, people feel really strongly about this issue, right? Like we well, are talking life and death, but you're also talking jobs and you're also talking, uh, I can't leave my house. And you're talking about churches being cl- all of this stuff. These are no small issues right now. And so uh, people have feeling great emotion around them. And uh, it's become a thing where unfortunately people are using that emotion against people on the other side of it. Um, but, but you, you take who we are as a culture and then add all of this emotion and all of, uh, the fears and everything that people are feeling, it can become understandable, uh, that people are getting really riled up around this. Well, and I, you know, I think of when James instructs us to be slow to speak, but quick to listen. Right. I think, Mm -hmm. um, 
it's easy to sort of relegate that to like some sort of like ancient wisdom, but that doesn't really apply to here. And I think it absolutely does. And I know that we just occupy just a little tiny corner of like radio and digital space. But if, if it could start with just the people listening right now, what yeah. if we took a deep breath before hitting send, before hitting post, before hitting tweet, before replying with anger or vitriol or in any way belittling or denigrating someone else's thought process or opinion or conclusion i think if that could start somewhere that could be man that could be a really beautiful thing well coming up next a uh, pastor friend of mine from village church of bartlett a brilliant brilliant man uh, created a short little video in response to some of what he was hearing from his congregation regarding whether or not we should be gathering in person and i'm going to share that with you coming up next here on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Everyone, welcome back to The Common Good, and uh, all my positive speech has not changed for the weather. I'm so sorry to keep bringing up the weather. I'm sure people who are like also in the mid- Midwest are like, we know, man. We, we get, get it. it stop, buddy. Stop, stop reminding. I will say this, though. If uh, if you have the bandwidth and capacity to watch a two-year-old with bright yellow rainbow, rainbow, rainboats? Rainboots. <laughs> yes. I don't know what a rainboat is. That's not a good idea for a boat. Uh but if you can see a two-year-old in bright yellow rain boots jumping in puddles, that will make all of this just a little bit more enjoyable, I promise. Um, actually, I've actually found pictures. It's so funny you say that. I found old pictures yesterday. Last night, we were going through some pictures yeah. and found pictures of my children at like that age and a little older jumping in rain puddles. And I was like, oh, I remember that. <laughs> it's pretty adorable. I am yeah. not going to lie. Uh, a couple of house cleaning things before we get rolling here. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles and videos and topics. And you can send us messages if you have ideas or suggestions. Find us at 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. That's where all the old shows are kept. You can also find them on the podcast. And please, 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 if you have the time, subscribe, rate, review. That does really help us out a whole lot. And I mentioned earlier this is a pastor, a friend of mine, a buddy that I have loved and respected for a long time. His name is Michael Fueling. He's a lead pastor at Village Church of Bartlett. You can learn more at vcob.org. That's vcob.org. Super, super smart dude. And he's the kind of guy we disagree on so many things. <laughs> but I've always <laughs> I just appreciated his friendship and his posture. And he and I used to go on these long walks and we would just debate and argue. And then we'd like go get a beer together. Like it was he's just one of those friends that I have long appreciated and respected even since moving to Naperville area. He created this short video speaking to some of his, uh, his community in particular. And the headline of this video simply says, what should the church response be to government mandates around COVID-19? So I want to play this short three minute video and then uh, Brian and I will just respond a little bit to it. My fifth encouragement for you, and this is probably going to get a little personal for some of you, but the word of God has a way of invading the most personal parts of our life. Here it is. The principle is we will honor our government until they ask us to sin. Uh, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul addresses how the Christians of the church are supposed to interact and think about the government. And the irony about the Roman government is that they are persecuting Christians. I mean, whatever frustration we have with the Illinois government, um, let's just say that the Roman government was much worse to the Christians. In light of this, the very people who would end up killing Paul himself, here's what he says. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. 
Chapter 13, verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Now, we have prayed and talked and thought as a staff and leadership here as a church. Um, what is it that the government could ask us to do where we would say, no, that is sin? So far, we do not feel we've gotten to that point yet. I'm not saying it won't happen. I'm not saying it will happen. Um, but it really has forced us to ask some really fundamental questions. So here's a question. What is church? And is the government oppressing what is church? Are they holding us back from being the church? And as we've thought about what the church is, I want to share with you a few things. And here's the church. A church is a location of believers under the authority of elders who gather for weekly worship, and they worship, pray, teach, and, and practice ordinances. That's baptism and communion. And so far... We have had the freedom, although we can't be in person, to worship together. Groups still meet. We're able to pray together, sing together, uh, be under the authority of God's word together. We're able to celebrate communion together. We're able to baptize. Like all of these things, we're still able to do as as a local church. Now, are they the way we want them? Definitely not. Are they ideal? No. Do I want this season to be done? You better believe it. Can I not wait till we, we can be in this room and celebrate what our great God has done for us together, live, in the flesh, in person? 100%. But as we step back, you know, we've said, listen, uh, we would like this to be done sooner than later. But right now, it seems that the government has not told us that we cannot be and do the fundamentals and essentials of what the church is and does. But if they do, well, then our strategy is going to change. And so we are regularly thinking and praying about this. And as always, we'd love your feedback. But you can know that um, we still believe at this point we are able to do all the essential necessary things that God has called the local church to do. And the government is not against us doing those things as regard the policies and as they stand right now. But again, if those things change, then we're going to have a little bit different conversation as a church. And we're going to keep you up to speed on all of that. All right, Brian. So I know that you don't know Mike from anybody necessarily, but uh, what do you think of what he had to say there? Uh, a really, really timely and and a well done pastoring there, right? To put that out for his congregation because uh, people are throwing this around right now. Hey, you know what? The government shouldn't be able to stop us from meeting. Let's just defy them. Uh, and then you got other people obviously disagreeing with that. And so stepping in to kind of answer that, I think, is really timely. Uh, and and I I kind of land where he's landing right now, right? Like we all know that that we don't follow the government when it calls us to do something unbiblical or to sin. But I tend to agree with them that we haven't gotten to that point yet. So I think now's the time to be working with the government, uh, not just sitting idly by, going, "Hey, just tell us what to do," but speaking to our representatives, making our voices heard, but still working through the governmental system. Uh, to help them understand, you know, where we as pastors and churches are at. But I, I like what he had to say. I tend to agree. Yeah, I want to read the two verses he read out of Romans 13, but in the message paraphrase, and it is a paraphrase, just to be clear. But I, I, I like the way that Eugene Peterson frames this. He says, be a good citizen. All governments are under God. Insofar as there is peace and order, it's God's order. So live responsibly as a citizen. If you're irresponsible to the state, then you're irresponsible with God. And God will hold you responsible. Duly constituted authorities are only a threat if you're trying to get by with something. Decent citizens should have nothing to fear. Which, again, his statement about, you know, until they ask us to sin, we're going to obey. 
And until they until the government asks us to do something that's blatantly sinful, we're going right. to comply. And he again, it's a short video, but he you know, he owns the fact that like, yeah, obviously there's a lot that we we miss about not being able to gather together. And I, I just I appreciated his pastoral perspective and tone, which is completely in line with what I know of Michael and his character and his leadership. The line that I want to ask you about, because Ooh. he sort of creates he sort of concludes then with this thesis statement that we can still do all the fundamental things that a church does. And we've had a number of conversations over the last couple of months about the incarnate church, the embodied church, uh, enfleshment, things like that. Do you agree that we are currently able to do all the fundamental things that a church does, even though most of those realities are happening digitally? That's a good question because, as you know, I've multi- I've said a lot that uh, that we are certainly diminished not being able to be together. Um, in so much as we can do the fundamental things that it's that that it's not it doesn't rise to the point of uprising against the government. I suppose I would agree with him. Um, Oh man, I'm wrestling with this one. I need you to jump in and tell me what you think about this one because I, I do, I get what he's saying. I get his point that we're, we're able to do the things that make us a church. So we don't need to be talking about like, uh, you know, civil disobedience or whatever, uh, at this point. But I certainly want to say that it's certainly diminished. There's certainly a lot we can't do that when we can be together that does make the church the church. And so, uh, but I do get what he's saying. What do you think about it? I, you know, I think it's probably, I, I don't know that he even needs to make that case at the end for the rest of the video to still be just as accurate. I, I think yeah. you could still agree that there is something greatly diminished or lost by not actually being able to gather physically together. There is a big part of me that says, okay, if people want to gather and it's, you know, consenting adults and they're not yep. going anywhere, you know, part of me uh, does really see some of the the logic in that, like, okay, yeah, that's your prerogative. You are all consenting adults. You want to worship together with whatever precautions you need to take. I also think that there is, there's a lot of function of the church that can still happen digitally, but there is something sacred about the physical gathered people. But again, I don't, I don't think that we have to pretend that that isn't significant at the very least to still say, at least in this time though, we're going to honor our authorities. And again, apart from sin, which maybe, maybe that's a good follow-up question for a later discussion, is not meeting together physically, even when we can, as deemed by the government, is that behavior sinful? Maybe that, I would, maybe we should have that debate sometime in the future. Would that be sinful to continue to not attend physically, even once we're quote-unquote able to? I, I think that would be a fascinating discussion. Either way, uh, the video is on our Facebook page. We would love to hear your thoughts. I would encourage you, go check out Village Church of Bartlett at vcob.org. Wonderful church and community there in Bartlett and uh, super grateful for Michael, his family and his leadership. Coming up next, a segment that I've loved doing as of late. It's called Some Good News. We're going to share just simply some random good news that we found all over the interwebs. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you're Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for some good everyone welcome back to the common good i've said the name of the show the exact same way for like 15 months what's a different way i could say it the common, uh, welcome common, common welcome good back to, <laughs> welcome back to the common good that's sort of you how you say it you really emphasize common 
Yeah, yeah. It's very, um, it's very like sing songy the way that you say it. Welcome back to the. You can go back to what we were talking about before. You can be like, "What up, goodies?" Huh? No, I've Isn't never, I've never been a fan of that. Nope. That the time? Sounds, somehow the "what up" makes it even weirder in my mind. What it's up, even- commoners? <laughs> You laugh at your own joke there more than anyone I know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really worried about you, Brian. Let me just, let me just say that on air for everyone to hear. Um, So can you, uh, you want to tell us about some social media stuff? Where can people find us at? Yeah. Goodies. You can find us on Facebook at the uh, common good radio show. (laughs) All right. I'm done with that. Uh, the Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Facebook. There is where we post all the articles of things we've been talking about. Also, some articles we haven't gotten to. Uh, right now, there is some heated discussion going on on our Facebook page about the question about churches meeting uh-huh. uh, that, that you can weigh in on. Also, at Twitter and Instagram, uh, Common Good Talk. You can also find us online, 1160hope.com. And as always, get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, we are super excited and super grateful for those of you who do listen to the podcast. Way to go, Brian. Can I tell them more words before we get to some good news? Only, only okay. if okay. it's about Thrive It. Well, we are all in luck then. And maybe you're listening thinking, Thrivent, you say? I've never heard of them. Let me tell you. So Thrivent.com is where you can go to learn more. I've been a Thrivent member for like eight years. It's a wonderful Fortune 500 not-for-profit that's been around for more than 100 years, which is incredible. You can also learn more about career opportunities, Thrivent.com slash careers. I know a lot of people are either looking for a change or maybe – you are in need of a career path in general, and you don't even need to have a background in money. Just go to thrivent.com slash careers. Plus, they've been hosting a lot of wonderful webinars, and we're posting them on our Facebook page. Can't encourage you enough to check those out. Okay, Brian, why don't you kick us off with some good news? Yeah, this is a, this is a story out of San Francisco. A homeschooled 12-year-old boy designs COVID-19 protection device called the Safe Touch Pro. It's amazing. It's always you homeschoolers here, man. You're always the one. <laughs> Agreed. It didn't take long, it says, for this San Francisco 12-year-old to invent his own solution for the problem of avoiding germs in public during the pandemic. Mizan Rupon Tompkin saw his parents uh, fumbling with their sleeves whenever they wanted to open a door. So mm-hmm. he designed a hook-like tool and perfected the prototype on his 3D printer. Wow. Called the Safe Touch Pro, it also has the ability to punch numbers on keypads for whenever you're at the ATM, cash register, or gas station. He said, I really made it for my parents, and now it's helping everyone. Uh, I wanted to make sure it was good for the environment, and the virus can't survive it. He was already an inventor. He's 12 years old. He was already an inventor of sorts, having built a computer and his own Alexa from scratch, along with an age-guessing robot that can guess age, gender, and emotions what? in seconds. This kid is uh, brilliant. He's been homeschooled for three years with an eye toward a career in aviation, aeronautical design, or technology. Uh, I like this last line. This inventive boy is bound to reach the sky. Ooh, good ending. Do you ever like listen to, to stories about kids like this? And then yes. think back to what you were doing at their age. And you're like, yeah, not even close. 
Yeah, me at 12 was not doing these things. <laughs> no, no, no. So again, just to brag on this website, Good News Network, that's where that was, goodnewsnetwork.org. If you have not bookmarked that website yet, by the way, you are missing out on all sorts of sunshine. This next one is actually not from there. I, uh, I sort of mixed things up a little bit today for some good news, but here's the headline. One Alabama school system turned buses into hotspots to bridge the digital divide. I love innovation like this. I love when schools rally together. So it says with schools closed for the rest of the year and with little uh, online access in one of Alabama's poorest counties, superintendent John Hurd decided to bring the internet to the community down to a two lane road, 15 miles from the school sits Perry country, uh, Perry County school bus, 18, three parked outside the volunteer fire department every day from 10 AM until 3 PM. Uh, it is one of 10 Wi-Fi equipped buses spread out across 725 square miles to help students. The Wi-Fi signal on the bus reaches up to 150 feet from that antenna and can be used by up to 50 students at a time. Students can walk or drive to the site. Where Herd lives, six miles outside of Marion, he can only get internet access through satellites, which gets very expensive. But the signal from buses is a good one, Herd said. On a test drive uh, earlier in the week, he said, we were doing Zoom calls in an area where you couldn't even get it on your telephone. Again, there's a whole lot more to the article. We've posted this to the Facebook page, but props to this superintendent in this school for like recognizing an issue and saying, nah, we're going to go after this. I just, I love stories and innovation like that. This story is amazing. That's out of South Africa. Rival gangs in Cape Town agreed to an unprecedented truce and together bring food to the poor. South Africa has seen a 75% drop in violent crime during the coronavirus pandemic. Now, rival gang members in Cape Town are teaming up to collect and distribute food and essential goods to those in need. What we're seeing here is literally a miracle, Andy Steele Smith, a pastor who works with gang members in the community, told BBC News. Before the pandemic, South Africa had one of the highest uh, violent crime rates on the continent. But now new circumstances have created changes that are leading to a silver lining. The government has imposed some of the toughest quarantine rules in the world, including banning alcohol and cigarette sales. The economy has taken a beating and the gang members were feeling the effects as much as anybody else. I got a phone call from two gang leaders, both saying, Andy, I've never asked you for anything, but we are starving, said the pastor. And I just thought if these guys are starving, they're at the top of the food chain. The rest of the community is going to be in serious, serious strife. Andy hatched a plan that would not only meet the needs of the community, uh, but also show these young people a new sense of purpose in the world. He asked members who would normally be trying to kill each other to work together toward a common goal. uh, And that is uh, to help feed the people of the community. Uh, Preston Jacobs, a member of the Americans gang, told the BBC that it feels nice to be doing something positive for the community. Now I see there are nice people also, and people want to love what you're uh, what we're doing now. Uh, and the other gang called the Clever Kids, uh, Clever Kids expressed hope that the truce would become permanent, saying if it can stay like this, then there will be no more gang fights, he said. And every gang gang will agree with us. What an unbelievable story. These kids have been trying to kill each other and now are like helping their community together. Uh, props to that pastor as well. Well, and it is a remarkable story, which is why I put it at the end, Brian. I want to end with that story. You oh, skip. did I jump it? You skip. Uh, <laughs> well, so now we're forced to end with this one, which is not nearly as remarkable 
here's here's the story. It's not even really a story. IKEA has created these instructions for building furniture forts in lockdown. <laughs> that's awesome. So not necessarily <laughs> the uh, the hard tug note I was <laughs> hoping to end on. I got gotcha. you. As soon as you started reading, I was like, oh, no. All right. Well, uh, my apologies. My apologies. Oh, no, please. It's okay. It was, it was meant to be. Um, let me just read the rest of this lengthy article. The series of instructions include how to make tents, forts, dens, and castles indoors. Great activities for children who are off school and at home due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Follow our page for more activities and tips during lockdown. The end. That's the end of the article. But- <laughs> that is good news. The castle, the wigwam, the fortress. <laughs> it doesn't even really qualify as news. I just, I just thought it was interesting, though, that like a company <laughs> as big as IKEA was thinking about, all right, how can we help equip families who are, you know, like you've even mentioned yeah. this before, your kids are a bit older than mine. On days like today, we're like, uh, we're running out of options. Like we're running out of creative. Yep. Like luckily, you know, my two-year-old still just loves stickers. So he just plays with animal stickers all day long and is, you know, more or less perfectly fine. But uh, I appreciate big companies like this saying, all right, we realize and recognize it's a weird time for everybody. Here's a here's a little bit of help for you. And I don't know which which one's your favorite in that list of forts. Oh, the one that was supposed to be the last closer. That one is unbelievable. The uh, the gang story. Uh, that's uh, that. What an uh, what a great story. Not just of uh, uh, to make your heart feel good, but of transformation. Right of kids like turning completely the other way, and now they're like, well, we kind of like helping people. This is working out well. And probably after years of, of fruitful work by this pastor, I think that's an awesome story. That's a Disney movie waiting to happen right there. I totally agree. And that was a very touching response, Brian. But I did ask, which was your favorite fort? Oh, no way. I thought you said which was my favorite story. I'm killing the segment. I'm going wigwam. I'm going wigwam. Of course you are. All right. Well, that's probably oh, I just the- killed good news time. Mom. No, 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 no. That's probably the best segue we've had to the final segment since the show has really been on the air. Coming up next, it's time for interweb insanity stories that we have not read, sound effects we have not heard. And we're going to land this plane here on the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Common Good. We are on the home stretch, landing the plane, docking the boat. Mm, Parking the bike. Parking the bike. Do you say park the bike? Is that what you're doing? Chaining the bike, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, but it might not be a chain, though. It could be something else. Okay. Okay. With parking, parking is good. What's another? What's another metaphor? Another word picture we could use there for ending the show? Landing the balloon. No, we already have landing. We already have landing with the plane. Mm, Concluding the docking. You you said docking the boat. Yeah. All right. There's got to be another one. I'll spend the rest of this segment thinking about it and not (laughs) not paying attention. (laughs) Right. You go ahead and talk, and I'll be distracted trying to think of another way. To say this, uh, just to say it again, because why not? Find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, slash The Common Good, Twitter and Instagram, at Common Good Talk, wherever it is you get your podcast. If you're coming to the end of the show and you're like, oh, shoot, I haven't actually subscribed, rated, and reviewed to the podcast yet, now is the perfect time to do that while we're talking because all these stories are nonsense anyway. So here's how the segment works. Our producers select a few stories that we have not read, we read them sight unseen, and then they play sound effects that we also haven't heard, and they're almost always 
inappropriate. So that's right. Again, it's terrifying and hilarious, and I can't believe we still do this segment. But Brian Fromm is going to kick us off. Starting out in Switzerland, unusual recipe contest offers a year's supply of chocolate chips. Lovely. Nestle Tollhouse is offering a year's supply of chocolate chips as the prize for a contest seeking the most unusual and original recipe to incorporate the company's morsels. The company announced on social media is holding a, quote, remix the original contest to find the most original way to use our Nestle Tollhouse morsels in a recipe. Nestle said it will pick eight of the recipes submitted on Instagram to compete in a bracket style tournament with the final winner chosen by consumers. The winner's recipe will then be featured on the website verybestbaking.com and the winner will receive a baker's package, including a year's supply of Nestle Toll House morsels. What do you what do you think qualifies as a year's supply? Like, how are they measuring that? That is a great question. I don't right even now, know. Chocolate chips, chocolate chips are like a reward to my eldest, and we are going through chocolate chips like it is going. Are you okay over there? What happened? You... I didn't do anything. <laughs> so it sounded like you were uh, like smacking your microphone for some reason. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, a controversial statement here. I do not like chocolate chips. Okay, I'm just going to move on from that statement. Pretend no. I didn't hear it. Maryland bar promotes social distancing with giant inflatable inner tube tables. I saw this. I think this picture is crazy. Uh, You should watch the video. It's amazing. An Ocean City, uh, Maryland bar and grill is using bumper tables to separate separate customers and keep them six feet apart in order to meet social distancing guidelines amid the pandemic. Footage captured by John Middlebrook shows people rolling out the customized tables at Fishtails Bar and Grill. The giant inflatable inner tubes on wheels were manufactured by Revolution Event in direct response to the current climate that we live in. On the day of their arrival, the seafood joint also took to Facebook to share their unique tables being rolled into the restaurant. An order from the town allowed hotels and short-term rentals to begin, accepting guests from May 14th, drawing visitors to the area over the weekend. Next one's out of Australia. Woman fined after police catch her reading a book while driving. Okay. Uh, They say a good book can't be put down, but one Adelaide driver is now facing a fine over a ripping read. A concerned citizen spotted the 25-year-old woman cruising along Lower Northeast Road at Campbelltown while reading a book. They recorded the bookworm's illegal act and passed the footage to the police. Police say the woman's young, the young woman's novel activity. I see what they did there. Uh Novel activity is far from a good story. Driving is a complex task and anything that serves as a distraction from that task, including using a mobile phone or reading a book, can significantly impair your reaction time, your ability to maintain speed and your ability to judge safe gaps in traffic. You know you're driving, right? Okay, we got two left and not enough time to do it. The second to last is out of Georgia. Therapy horse surprises quarantined Georgia seniors through bedroom window. The irony is that the picture is not a horse (laughs) doing that at all. Uh, As many of us know, quarantine life can be lonely, especially for seniors stuck in facilities kept on lockdown to curb the spread of COVID-19 among the most vulnerable. So how about a surprise visit from a gentle giant to brighten your day? Lily, the award-winning Arabian mare, paid a visit to the folks at Westbury Medical and Rehab Center in Jackson. Uh, Georgia, the therapy horse peeked through the bedroom windows and nuzzled mass residents outside in the courtyard. Adorable. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. And the last ones out of Virginia, alleged thieves wore watermelons over their heads at the grocery store. <laughs> 
Police in Virginia said they made an arrest in the case of two men who used watermelons as masks when they allegedly stole from a grocery store. The Louisa, Louisa Police Department said two men wearing hollowed out watermelons as masks stole undisclosed, undisclosed items from a Sheets grocery store. Police said the suspects fled in a lifted 2006 black Toyota Tacoma. The department said Sunday that an arrest was made in the case. A police Facebook post with photos of the two men and an appeal to the public for information about the melon head suspects was deleted Monday after the arrest was announced. Luke, help me take this mask off. And that's how you wrap the gift, Brian. And that, that is it. That is it. Not my finest work, but I am looking at my weather app. It says tomorrow, partly cloudy, high as 66. So I'll be in okay. a much better mood. Join us again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, my name is Ian Simpkins, and you have been listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life.